Hi guys, how you all doing? This is Steve Overland from Kings of Mercia and FM, and you are listening to Michael's Record Collection. Hello and welcome to Michael's Record Collection, where we talk about great music with the people who make it and the people who love it. This is episode number 81 of the podcast, and I'm very excited to bring you my conversation with vocalist Steve Overland. Steve, you may know from his work with the British band FM, not to be confused with the Canadian progressive rock band. Steve's kind of a bluesy singer. He's uh, sung for Wildlife, FM, The Ladder, Shadow Man, Overland, a group called Overland, Ozone, and, and lots of guest appearances. Steve is part of a brand new band with Jim Mateos of Fate's Warning, Joey Vera of Fate's Warning, and the great drummer Simon Phillips. They have a self-titled debut album that just came out. It's fantastic blend of what Jim Mateos does and what Steve Overland does great melodic hard rock. I think you're going to like it. I can't wait to bring you that story. Before we get to that, I'd like to remind you, follow me on social media. It's at Mike's Records on Twitter and at Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. I invite you to visit michaelsrecordcollection.com and there's links to everything there, my social media, the newsletter. You can sign up for that for free, get it in your mailbox every week, and my Patreon page where you can uh, go and check out the different levels of support For as little as $2 a month, you can support independent podcasting and writing, and your benefits go up as the the level of support goes up. So give it a look, and no pressure. I would love to have your support. Feel free to drop me a line at michaelsrecordcollection at gmail.com. Let me know how I'm doing. Ask a question. I'll be happy to answer it on the next show, or just say hi. Let me know you're out there. All right, with all that out of the way, let's get to that interview with Steve Overland. Here we go. Welcome to Michael's Record Collection, where we talk about great music with the people who make it and the people who love it. And joining me for this episode, very happy to have with me vocalist uh, Steve Overland is with me from Kings of Mercia and also with FM. Thanks for your time today. Oh, nice to nice to talk to you, Michael. Glad to be here. So I want to talk to you about this new release that just came out, Kings of Mercia, self-titled debut album. And um, it's been a busy year for you because FM's 13 album came out in March. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Another yeah. another great album in its own right. Thank you. How how has that one been going for you? Fantastic. Yeah, we've um I mean this is why it's been quite tough to get things um going with you know Kings of Mercy kind of had to wait. I I had to do a we've done two British tours, two, two European tours for the 13 album. I'm I'm out again um the week after next doing another five shows. Another five in November, and FM just keep going, Michael. It's like a, you know, we'll just keep touring until we do the next record, which we're now going to start. And um, yeah, we just—it's amazing, really. A band that's been going as long as that, and um, it just go, seems to go from strength to strength, which is fantastic. You know, it's good to hear, Steve. For my uh, listeners and viewers, I want to just clarify because I have, I've done a lot of shows about progressive rock. So I want to make sure that people know this is the, the British rock band FM, not the Canadian progressive rock band. Yeah, FM. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Before we get into the Kings of Mercia, I gotta know, I always ask this question. What was your first favorite record? 
My first favourite record, um, my brother, who is original guitar player in FM from the first two or three records, he had an album in his bedroom that I stole called uh, Rocking the Fillmore by a band called Humble Pie. Okay. Steve Marriott, Peter Frampton, all those players. Sure. I used to hear him playing this album. And I, I, you know, I was a young young kid then. And I, was, I was like, this is amazing. You know, I'd never really gotten into music in a big way. I'd heard my mum and dad playing the Beatles and all that stuff. But this album, I just had to have it. So when he was out with his friends, I, I broke into his bedroom, stole it and uh, hid it in my room. <laughs> And when he was out, he used to play it nonstop. It was like my favourite record. It still is a great record. It's one of the best live albums of all time. So um, still love it. Still a fantastic album. How old were you when this happened? God, blimey. I would have been 10, 9 or 10 years old, maybe, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm um, very young, very young. I mean, I started playing at 11, so it would have been, a, that was, it was those sort of records that got me into the idea that I wanted to play the guitar, really. So it would have been, I would have been pretty young, pretty young, yeah. Yeah. Now, you mentioned you come from a musical family. Were your parents also musicians? No, not my parents. Um, my my uncles and further relatives were all in bands and played various musical instruments. So I think it skipped my mom and dad and... Uh, my brother was the main thing for me. He started playing in bands, and I used to go and watch him rehearse in all these weird places, and there were always all these girls there. I remember being a young lad and thinking, I'll tell you what, this is not a bad not a bad way to go. You know, I'm going to have to try this. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I just sort of picked the guitar up one day. He had lots of guitars, and I was, basically I was four years younger, so I borrowed a guitar one night. When I, was, when I was bored, none of my friends were out and sat behind the sofa with a chord book and learned how to play some songs. And that was it, really, Michael. I got hooked on it. And I was well into soccer football when I was young. I used to play for the school and the county. And music from that night, which is quite a strange thing, took my life over at 11 years old. And that was it. I've been doing it, you know, all my life. Never done anything else, which is a fantastic thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how many people uh, started out with just saying, you know, if I stand up there with a guitar, girls will look at me. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's most rock musicians, isn't it? I think so. (laughs) Yeah, the playing's a bit of an inconvenience, really. It's the lifestyle, really. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
this album of Kings of Mercia came out on Metal Blade Records on September 23rd. It's available on uh, their web shop and uh, I'm guessing Amazon, but it's uh, mm. probably better for you guys if they buy it through your label. But um, it came out on CD digitally and also on this beautiful flame marbled yeah. vinyl, which is amazing. As an artist that has been around since since before records went away for a while, that's got to be pretty amazing to see this your work come out on this kind of a of a beautiful disc. It's beautiful. I mean, they've done a great job on on everything with it, Metal Blade. And I've I've made records with lots of record companies. This is my first one for Metal Blade, and I have to say that they're really on the case. They do things properly. And I mean, we've got four different color vinyls. They've done four different color vinyls, all in different sort of package it's just amazing they've really done a great job on this record and they really believe in it and um i do you know and, and jim does and we're all really behind it and it's kind of taken over at the moment because i'm doing a lot of these which is fantastic <laughs> and um the response to it has been amazing so they've done a great job and it is always great i love the fact the vinyl is where it is back where it is you know and because i'm sure like you in my day I just used to go out and buy an album because of the sleeve because I wanted to own records. And yeah. Um, yeah. there's something about it, you know, and we've gone through all of that. Kids basically just downloading records with no packaging, no cover, no anything, no identity to go all the way around in a circle to like having sleeve notes, having photographs of the band in the studio, which I, when I was a kid, I used to open the inner sleeve up and if the band's pictures of the band recording the album, it was like a book to me. I'd study every picture and it kind of drew you into the process of how recording worked and things like that. And I used to love albums as a possession. I still do, you know. So the fact that now my records come out on vinyl is a real thrill, you know, a real thrill. And people are back into buying it. It's great, great news, I think. Yeah, there's nothing like the experience that you have with opening it up and and reading through the liner notes while the music plays and following along with the lyrics and looking at the pictures and all of that. It yeah. was a very tactile yeah. experience. And, it, and you don't, you don't have that. It, it was never a background activity. It was always a very active activity. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and the whole thing is, you know, when, when album sleeves and all that really didn't matter anymore, when you do what we do, they still do. You still make your records exactly the same. So, to now have a, a an album sleeve again where you can make sure the artwork is right and it has to look great, you know. And the packaging to me is is just as important as the record. It's got to be real quality, you know. And I think the Kings of Mercia artwork is fantastic. The symbol with the guy with the, you know, and that's, it's just, um, I think it's really important and it's becoming important again because people are getting records. So it's a piece of art. A sleeve is a piece of art, you know, and yeah. they used to cost a fortune to get designed, you know, by Roger Dean, all these famous artists. And so I'm just glad that it's back and hopefully back to stay and it will grow even stronger and bigger, you know. Yeah, same here. So let's talk a little bit about the lineup of Kings of Mercia. This is uh, yourself, Steve Overland on vocals, Jim Matheos and uh, Joey Vera of Fate's Warning on guitars and bass, respectively. And uh, the great Simon Phillips on drums, ex-Toto, Derek Sherinian. I mean, the guy can just flat out play. Oh, yeah. Amazing lineup. Oh, it is. It's a great band. That's why we're so excited. I mean, I remember, Jim, um, when we wrote the album, we, can't, it was, we, we did it in lockdown, Mark, because 
we were, it was Jim got to me via a famous rock journalist in the UK that's been a friend of mine for years, a guy called Dave Ling. Mm-hmm. And um, he was trying to contact me. He wanted to make this album where he gelled two styles. He wanted to have a like a a blues rock singer, like a Paul Rogers kind of vibe with his music, parts of his music too. And I was on his list and he got in touch with me through um, Dave. And we made the record really very quickly because we didn't really know what we were making. It kind of evolved as we went. We were both off the road because we couldn't tour. Mm-hmm. And um, the style of Kings of Mercy developed as we went along. And then when he said to me, when we'd finished the songs and he said, you know, I'm thinking of getting Joe to play the bass and I think I might be able to get Simon Phillips to do the drums. And I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that'd be fantastic. You know, I think they all work so well together. All the different styles, my voice, Jim's detuned, massive guitar sound, and Joey's got that kind of growly, aggressive style. And then you got Simon, who's just the most brilliant drummer ever, or one of, you know? Yeah. Um, and you never know how these things are going to work when you try and gel two styles, but it's worked fantastically well, and it did from the first song. So, you know, um, it's, it's been great. It's been fantastic. You know, it's a great band. Steve, you, you called it a band more than one time. And I wanted to make sure, is this a band or a side project? How are you guys approaching this? And, and are there plans to be live concerts? There's got to be, yeah. I mean, we are, it's, we, we're, we're set to make another two Kings of Mercy records. So it's a band. It's a band. And, and we could get festivals as the, the kind of launch pad for the band because obviously being with, Jim and Joe from Fates Warning, you're going to get different kinds of festivals to what FM play. So it would be great to go out and do some of the festivals in America, do some in Europe to launch the band. And I think the band justifies that. It needs to be a living, breathing thing, not just another thing that we, we do when we're off the road with our other bands. That's not what we want it to be at all, you know? Yeah. I don't have the album credits for the record. Did did Jim write everything? Did he just write music and you wrote lyrics? How did the writing process work? He wrote the music. I mean, the, um, the very when he first came in touch with me, Mark, he said, I got the email from Dave Ling. So I want to put you in touch with Jim Mateus. And so I'd, I'd never really listened to Face Warning, but I made myself listen. And I was pleasantly surprised. They're a great band. They have great songs. They have They've got great content. It's a bit proggy at times. It's fantastic, you know. And um, But I didn't know how it was going to work. So I said to Jim, look, fantastic. I'd love to have a go at this, Jim. Send me over. Oh, sorry. My dog's are barking. Sorry. That's all right. <laughs> no, he sent me over um, 
a backing track. Um, and I said, look, let's just do one song. Let's see if it works. If it doesn't, we've not put a great deal of time into it. We'll just do one tune and see how it comes out. So he sent me a backing track and I listened to it. It was, I mean, Jim's stuff when he sends you what he calls his demos sound like an album. They're fantastic. <laughs> he's, he's a very clever man. And um, so I got this track, wrote this song called Humankind. That was the first song we wrote. Sent it back to America. I thought it came out great, not knowing what the response would be. And all of a sudden, it was like Jim just came back to me within about 15 minutes of me sending it from the studio and said, this is amazing, Steve. He said, I've got to play this to the record company. Played it to the record company, and we got the deal on the strength of one song, just one song. And everything he sent me suggested what it should be like, you know, because it's a slightly different style for me. And um, it just became this evolving thing where Kings of Mercy were born and it grew and the sound was developed and it became this great band. And so, you know, he sent me the backing tracks. I wrote the lyrics, wrote all of the words and the titles, and, and that's how it worked. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how did the band decide on the name? Was there was there submissions and then you picked from them? How did that go? Well, there's always submissions, isn't there? And you get <laughs> some real, real cracking names come out. And we had a list of names, some of them absolutely terrible. And Jim had this name that he loved, Kings of Mercia. And that was a bit like, I think it's a great name, Jim, but you've got Kings of Leon, Sisters of Mercy, is it too close to other band names, you know? And well, I said, I'll tell you what, it's the best one of the bunch. I think it's a great name. Let's live with it. Let's carry on with the record and let's call the band Kings of Mercy whilst we're finishing the record. And then all of a sudden, it we just became Kings of Mercy. That's what we were. And yeah. it seemed to fit as the music went on. And so there was no deep meaning behind it. We just, it just became what we were, you know? And, um, mm -hmm. The record company loved the name. Then when we got the, the artwork, it all made sense. So, you know, it's it's a it's a different kind of name and it seems to stick with in people's minds, which is a great thing. Now, have you already worked in this style before? Uh, you know, the pandemic forced so many people to just record their own parts at home in their own home studios. H had you done that before with FM or was this a new way of working for you? 
Well, I've, I've done all sorts. I mean, I, I do a lot of other stuff as well, Michael, lots of different records. And so I've done a lot of, you know, having some of the band in Sweden, some in New York, some in, and I've done that many times. And to be honest, in this day and age, it works fine. You know, it's never like having all of you in a studio because there's you can't bounce off of each other there and then at the time when you're recording it. But me and Jim have become really good friends. So we were in constant touch. I'd send stuff back and we'll be emailing every day. We've done Zoom calls like this. And so it's very much, um, you know, a collusion of all of, of our two ideas as we've been going along. You know, we bounced off of each other. He'll say, I'm not sure about this. What do you think, Steve? And we just come up with this thing that between us, it's been a real, real proper collaboration. It's been really easy because he's such an easy guy to work with. I'm very clever. So it's been, no, it's been a really easy album to make, to be honest. It's been a real pleasure, you know? Good. When you get these, uh, when you got these uh, demos from Jim, did they already have, uh, they already have Joe and, and Simon on them or did they add their parts later? How did that go? No, they were just demos. So they were programmed drums. Um, Jim had his, his original guitar parts. He redid them and replaced all of that. So they were purely demos, but great sounding demos. And then obviously we didn't know at the time like, who was going to be the rest of Kings of Mercia. So once we'd done all the stuff, I'd done all the guide vocals and stuff like that, we then talked about who we'd like to be Kings of Mercia. And that's when we came up with it. Joey did his bass with Simon. We got Simon. We've just done the promo videos. We've got Simon and Joey to film their stuff. And I did mine in England with the same with the director. We, Funnily enough, there's a director called Russell Cherrington who had worked with Fates Warning and Jim in the States. He's an old friend of mine. We didn't know this at the time. But, and he said, I can't believe it. He said, Jim, that you're doing an album with Jim Mateus. I said, yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah. He said, how brilliant is that? He said, Jim's a massive old friend in Joey and all of Fates Warning. So when we were going to do the videos, I, it, was a, it was an obvious thing to get Russell to do them because he knows everybody. And he got them to film their stock with the same lighting with a different director and it was just it was great the way we did it and it looks like a band all in the studio together on the video it's very cleverly shot so you know really really pleased but it's a small world you know an old friend of mine who comes to cfm and is a he's a film director guy that i've known for years was a really close friend of joey and jim's as well so amazing really yeah so you you send in your guide vocals and when you get the finished track sent back to you. What is your reaction when you hear the, the final oh, product? Well, the thing with this album is a really strange one because I was so wrapped up in other things at the time. We, we were doing the new FM record. I had other things I was working on. So I just kept writing the songs and sending them back. And I kept thinking, yeah, this is, cool. this is great. This, these are sounding great. So I'd send them back and Jim would come back with, this is amazing. I'm going to send you another three. So I'd write another three and send them back. And to cut to the chase, to be honest, until I got the album finished record, I had no idea how great a record we'd made. Because <laughs> it was all being sent back in parts and bits. And when it was all mixed and put together and Simon and Joey played on it, it just came alive. And it was just um, so all of a sudden it was like I listened to it. I got sent the, the finished mastered thing. I'm like, this is amazing. I had no idea that it was gonna we were gonna create this, you know. Because when you're sending them back one at a time and things are being added and Jim's changing parts and you get those back till you get this is the album, 
this is the running order of the songs, this is how it's going to run. And I played it and I thought, wow, this is something else. It's incredible, you know, mm-hmm. really incredible. So very proud of it, very proud of it. So there are 10 songs on the album. Were there more than 10 and a couple didn't get used or, or were, were there just these 10? We just wrote 11. We wrote 11. Every song and even the one that we didn't use didn't get used because we had other songs in a similar vein. So that's the thing with Jim. You know, what, whether Jim goes through songs and throws five in the bin, I don't know. But what I get, everything is of such a high standard that you just write them. and They just, you know, you've got great things to write to. You know, mm-hmm. so as I said, it was it was an easy process, an easy process. What was the last song you guys finished on this uh, album? Blimey, you got me there. I think it might have been. Is it right? I think that would have been the last one we we did. Calm was the first one. Wrecking Ball was after that. And we just kept, they kept coming. You know, Too Far Gone was one that he sent me that he said, um, see what you think to this, because it's different. It starts off like a bad company acoustic guitar song, then goes into this huge, heavy section in the middle. And it was easy to write. It was amazing to me because I, I did it. I just thought when I did the first part of it, you know, it was quite pretty. And it was a bit Paul Rogersy, and I thought, is it going to work? Will Jim like it? And he just came back and said, this is beautiful. This is amazing. And so it was like that. That's what it was like. It was like everything he sent me, it was like, this is fantastic. It was like, not one point did we go, mm, you know, I'm not sure about this. It just seemed to work. It just seemed to work, which is which is the best way. It's, it's fantastic when that happens, you know? Yeah. It makes it, uh, makes it certainly a lot more fun when you're not mm. sweating and, and slaving over uh, – you know, we got to fix this line. We got to fix the the middle eight or whatever. You know, exactly, exactly. You know, and we we had none of that. As I say, it just all seemed to fall in place, which was you know. Let's hope the next one's as easy. You know, <laughs> yeah. the album opener is, uh, and I won't go through every track, but um, "Wrecking Ball" is uh, a very appropriate opening track because it it is a balls out rocker, and it tells you right up front that this is this is what you're going to get on the album. And yeah. it's it's probably one of the one of my favorite you know early early tracks on this album in, in terms of you know I've I've listened to it probably about six or seven times but um, I, I think this one will have some staying power.
That's great. Well, it was the lead track. It's the first track we released to out to the world, mm-hmm. and it's just a straight to the point song, isn't it? You know, and um, to be honest, I I love so many of them still every time I put the record on and it's probably a lot of that stands the fact it's a different kind of album for me so you know Wrecking Ball though I think is definitely up there one of my favourites too yeah. you know um, I'm a big fan of Humankind I think it's got a really great anthemic chorus so mm-hmm. I love that track too but I could just go on and list all the ones <laughs> that I like so, so sure. I won't you know I think that um, Joe's bass work on um Sweet Revenge is among his best on the album. It's it, it's what you talked about earlier. His sort of growling type of yeah, bass yeah. really really works well on that track. And uh, I also think that uh, "Set the World on Fire" is maybe my favorite Simon Phillips track. Yeah, uh, he really yeah, he plays amazingly on that. I mean, he plays amazingly on all of them, but <laughs> you know, he's uh, he's what he is. But that's the great thing about the different players. I think, Michael, like Joey's got a real unique angsty kind of sound and it, it really works underneath Jim's guitars, which is why they've probably been together for so long, yeah. you know, and Jim gets the most colossal guitar sound I've ever heard. I need to find out how he gets that. You know, I'll try and get some of that in the next FM record, you know, <laughs> yeah, get some secrets, steal some secrets. Yeah. From. Um, I wanted to ask you about the harmony vocals on the album, because I didn't know if you did your own harmonies or if the other guys added harmonies or if it was a, a mixture of both. No, I do. I do all the harmonies. Yeah, I've tried to back off on harmonies because, I mean, as you know, with FM, it's all about kind of big choruses with mm-hmm. lots of different harmonies, lots of oohs and ahs and textures, eaglish kind of harmonies with FM. You know, but I tried not to do that and pretty these songs up. Just um, angry two parts with myself and just the odd chanty thing. But I backed off massively on the harmonies because I can layer harmonies forever. I can go into a studio because I do lots of back and vocal sessions as well. Yeah. So people get me in just to do back and vocal arrangements and things like that. So, you know, I had to really pull back the reins on this and think, no, 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 don't, don't pretty it up. It's got to be angsty and have attitude, you know? So, um, yeah. And I don't think you guys overdid it. I, I think that, um, they, they really work well, maybe best on the album on Everyday Angels. Yeah, I would say so. That that again, um, once again, I remember when Jim sent me that song and I had to really think about how I was going to write it and not make it too pretty, you know, because it's, a, you know, you go from something like Wrecking Ball to that, but somehow they all seem to work together. 
you know, yeah. because of these two merging styles. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, once again, though, I could have gone much more to town on that song, but I, I did hold back, you know, I tried not to do too much, you know. Yeah, I think it shows you You have um, really, they don't stand out particularly except for maybe on Everyday Angels and, and Too Far Gone. I think other than that, it's it's pretty straight ahead. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, that's what I tried to do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I do like uh, Liberate Me. It's built on that nice crunchy riff from Jim and yeah. a great solo. Of course, he's a master yeah. at that. And uh, yeah, the, I mean, you've already talked about, you know, Humankind and, and Wrecking Ball. You know, did you have any others that that you got from him and you were just this one has to be a single or anything like that? Well, to be honest, I mean, Too Far Gone was the one that surprised me because when I got it, it was such a beautiful guitar part, the acoustic part. So for me, it was a surprise. I'd had all these like real angsty, heavy songs and I got this lovely acoustic guitar song, you know. So that's why I think I sort of got the brief from Jim when when we first started. He said, look, Steve, I want you to do what you do and I'll do what I do. That's the whole point of this, you know. And um, so it just immediately suggested Paul Rogers' Bad Company in the Verses and a big anthemic chorus. was a surprise that song because it was so different from all the other ones i'd got most of the others are very straightforward big heavy detuned guitar songs which which i love and the thing i like about it too much is this with fm you get the kitchen sink there are sequences there's this there's that going on there's harmonies there's clean there's dirty guitars there's fifty nine thousand keyboards this is like massive guitar sound growling bass and a great drummer that's what you've got and me you know, and it's very stripped back, but very powerful. And I love the fact that that means that all of the performances from all the musicians shine through because you can hear everything that everybody's playing, you know. And uh, that's a change for me, and I, I really like that. I really like that approach. Yeah. When someone buys this album and they put it on and they listen to it start to finish, what do you want that listener to take away from that experience? Well, I hope. They basically, it was always, as I said to you, it was always going to be a risk that the two styles would merge. I hope the people that like Fate's Warning can understand that this is still a lot of Fate's Warning, 
but it's just it's also got me in it and vice versa. The fans that like the more blues rock melodic. To be honest, the, my fans that I've spoken to about the tracks they've heard online, and um, it's been really well received. They love it. So I just hope people will be open-minded and see how well this works, merging these two different styles of rock music, and it makes for something different, you know. So I hope, you know, they give it a chance and they just listen to it for the content of the songs because I think the songs are great, you know. And... Um, I believe it's a fantastic record and I hope, I hope they do too. You know? Yeah, for sure. The, uh, the, the question I have, I guess too, is this, that in this day and age, this type of music, it's not as, it's not the mainstream like it used to be. So how do you reach your audiences? Well, you've got to play live if you can. That's one. You've got to keep the social media side of it going, keep pushing your videos out there and, and just keep the awareness there. So we'll get cracked. We'll get started on another Kings of Mercy album probably now so that we can just, if we can do some dates with this one so that we can put the next one out as quickly as we can to keep that momentum going. And I think that's what you have to do now. I remember the days when, you know, bands used to do an album and have three years before the next one came out. I don't believe you can do that anymore. People's attention span is not in, in that three years. Nine million other bands have released albums, you know, and um, you've got to keep the momentum going. You've got to keep the band. If you can get the band out there on the road and you can keep the albums coming and just keep people's interest there. I think that's the way you have to do it now. Having massive lulls in releasing a record, then going away and doing 50 tours with FM and Jim going away for two years is not the way to get this thing rolling. You know, we have to keep the momentum going now that we started. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the the flavor of the month has turned into the flavor of the hour. Yeah, no, you're dead right. That's it, Michael. It's, it's all changed. And as I say, FM were the, the biggest culprits. We we used to start an album, scrap it, you know, go away for a year and then finish it three years after the, the last album. You know, you used to be able to get away with that then, but the world's a different place now. As you know, music, The music industry is definitely a different place, you know? So mm. got to keep it keep that kind of awareness going and keep the momentum going really. Yeah. You mentioned social media. Do you do your own social media or do you have people do that for you? No, I'm not very clever. <laughs> that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm old school, you know? So uh, I have a guy called Scott that does my personal page. FM have their own people. And we've got a Kings of Mercia website. And I think Metal Blade take care of a lot of stuff there. There's somebody doing that at the moment. And we'll just have to keep going with it. And, Maybe soon me and Jim will do some stuff on, on the website and just keep the ball rolling until we get another track. Maybe get a feeder track out there from Kings of Mercy or two as soon as we can and just keep the, the people interested in what we're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. How, how many or how, how much discussion has there been between you and Jim about, you know, playing live? It, would it be, a, you mentioned festivals where you probably would have a little bit shorter set. So you've got, enough material for for that but have you mentioned maybe augmenting that set if you guys had a headlining gig somewhere well we might we haven't talked about that to be honest but we've just talked about the fact we'd like to go out on the road and do it you know um we'll tackle how how long we're going to play and how we're going to do it when we when we get that far down the line but you know it's just that jim sent me an email um a few days ago saying you know we, we were just trying to sort of find out what both of us are doing 
Like I'm, I'm over here doing stuff with trying to get stuff going over here. He's doing the same out there with Metal Blade. So and he said, I just want this album to have the best it can possibly have because I think it's a fantastic album. And that's how we both feel. So we're we're not we've not just made the album and it's like right that one's done that I've got to go and write the new FM record. I'm gonna we want to see this through, make as much happen for Kings of Mercer as we possibly can. Yeah. Does that now does that make your your FM bandmates nervous when you do, when you get involved in a project like this? Uh, well, they have to. It's what it is, isn't it? You know, it's um, FM take up a lot of my time, and I can fit things in around it. And you, you all you have to do is plan. So if Kings of Mercy get some dates and an FM haven't got any, then I will say to the management, Kings of Mercy are going to do some dates and that's it. It's done. It's what it is. And the other stuff all kind of has to intertwine, really, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're going to make these records, especially records of this standard, you can't just make them then go away and do something else. It's such a waste of great music and time. And, you know, it justifies everything we can do to make it work, you know. Mm-hmm. the band is called kings of mercia the album is called kings of mercia you can get it on digital cd beautiful colored vinyl support the band buy the album buy some merchandise it's uh, some fantastic uh, really tight rock straight ahead in your face music but it, there's great musicianship and there's something in this i think for everybody who likes good crunchy rock music it's uh that's great. It's yeah. terrific. So I, I hope that it does really well for you guys. I'm I'm very excited for you guys to to have this out there in the world and and to see how it does for you. I wish you nothing but the best. And thank you. And thank you so much for your time and, and telling me a little bit about the process of making this record. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, it's great to talk to you, Michael. So hopefully, I can talk to you again on Kings of Mercy too. You know, when we sold two million albums, yeah. <laughs> oh yes, that'd be great. <laughs> that would be lovely. But thanks for thanks for the interview. It's been great. Really cool. Michael's record collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's record collection on social media at Mike's Records on Twitter and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash michaelsrecordcollection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the record. That's fantastic. We need people like you to get this thing moving.